The reading is from the first book of Kings, continuing in chapter 2. So Solomon thrust out Abiathar from being priest unto the Lord, that he might fulfill the word of the Lord, which he spoke concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. Then tidings came to Joab, for Joab had turned after Adonijah, though he turned not after Absalom. And Joab fled into the tabernacle of the Lord and caught hold of the horns of the altar. It was called King Solomon that Joab had fled into the tabernacle of the Lord. Behold, he is by the altar. Then Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go, fall upon him. And Benaiah came to the tabernacle of the Lord and said to him, Thus saith the king, Come forth. And he said, Nay, but I will die here. And Benaiah brought the king's word unto him again, saying, Thus said Joab, and thus he answered me. The king said to him, Do as he has said. <clears throat> Fall upon him and bury him, that thou mayest take away the innocent blood which Joab shed from me and from the house of my father. And the Lord shall return his blood upon his own head, who fell upon two men more righteous and better than he, and slew them with a sword, my father David not knowing whereof to wit. Abner, the son of Ner, captain of the host of Israel, and Amasa, the son of Jether, captain of the host of Judah. <coughs> Their blood shall therefore return upon the head of Joab, upon the head of his seed forever, but upon David, and upon his seed, and upon his house, and upon his throne, shall there be peace forever from the Lord. So Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, went and fell upon him and slew him, and he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. And the king put Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, in his place over the host, and Zadok the priest, to the king put in the place of Abiathar. This is the word of the Lord. Now this is our last reading from First Kings until uh, we'll get to it later on in the year. I have in mind to preach every sermon this Lent on the Gospel of Mark, uh, which is in the, in the lectionary, but we'll come back to 1 Kings. What a, what a story to finish 1 Kings with, though, isn't it? Everybody feel really satisfied about the death of Joab? I thought I felt a certain, certain re re release everybody thought, Phew, finally. Joab was a nephew of David, the son of David's sister, Zeruiah. 
Joab became very important in the early days when David was pursued by Saul and he became his military commander. In reading the account of the time when David is, is an outlaw and, and Saul is pursuing him and he has this band around him of his buddies It always reminded me of Prince Hal in the two parts of Henry the Fourth. These these cutthroat guys that are surrounding him. When when he becomes Henry the Fifth, they all become Secretary of State, head of the Exchequer. You know, all these all these important offices that go to these men who've just been. Um, I couldn't find quite the equivalent in the story of Falstaff, however, so it doesn't entirely fit. But Joab had made himself indispensable to David back in those days as a military commander. When I pray Psalm 107, Hebrew 108, which is pretty much every day, that's one of my favorite psalms. I very often think of Joab because of the line in the, in the Psalms, who will lead us into the fortified city, who will take us even, even to Edom. And I remember that Joab is the one who took the capital of the Edomites, which is, we know it now as Selah or Petra. And uh, I'm suspecting just about everybody here is has seen a picture of that, of that, of that capital. At least you saw it in the, in the movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Remember? <laughs> and you see Indiana Jones and his friends riding through this, this pass, in and out of the, of this big box canyon, and. Uh, I have very vivid memories of Denise and myself riding horses through that very same pass. Uh, it was an impossible, an impossible city to take. You had to ride at least a mile and a quarter through a pass where the, the walls, you had room for maybe three horses across, a jeep now. The walls go up 300 feet on either side, and you're completely vulnerable all the time you're down there. And people are throwing rolling boulders down on top of you and shooting at you with arrows and you can't shoot back and pouring burning oil on you. And Joab managed to take that, take, take that city. Who will lead me to the fortified city? Who will take me even at Edom? But David had wanted to get rid of Joab for a long time. Joab was a survivor, however. There were reasons David could not get rid of Joab. And it's instruct, instructive to read what they were. First of all, was his popularity with the army. In some ways, more popular than David. As he, led, he actually led the army. David was back at the capital. And he actually led the army. I pro I'm probably the only one here old enough to remember vividly remember when Truman fired MacArthur. I, 
remember I remember like it was yesterday, Truman fired MacArthur. The whole country rose up and wanted to get rid of Truman because MacArthur was so popular with the people, the great hero of the Pacific. So David, David had respect to Joab. He wanted to get rid of him, but not easy to do. And secondly, Joab was family. He was his nephew. Why did David want to get rid of Joab? Because he was a thoroughly corrupt man, that's why. Tonight's text, Solomon refers to the two men that Joab murdered. Both times he murdered them by acts of treachery and deception. Remember, each man, he went up to him to exchange, to kiss him, to exchange his side of peace with him, and got up close and buried a, buried a dagger in his, in, his, in his stomach each time. Both times treacherously. He had, killed, he had killed Abner at the time of the reuniting of the kingdom. He was getting back at Abner for Abner's justified killing of Joab's younger brother, who was trying to kill Abner. And then he killed a Mesa the same way, exactly the same way, after Absalom's rebellion, when David put a Mesa in charge of the, of the, of the force. The second murder was especially heinous to David because Emesa, no less than Joab, was a nephew to David, the son of another sister, and thus he was a first cousin to Joab himself. This man actually kills his own relatives out of jealousy. In each case, Joab at least partly acted out of jealousy. He feared that Abner would replace him as commander of the army once the Judah and Israel were joined. As for Amasa, this man had actually replaced him as commander. That had already happened. So he murdered two men. He murdered two men. You know, in the Hebrew scriptures, the act of murder unconditionally calls for capital punishment. Whoever sheds the blood, his blood will be shed. Very simple rule. If you kill anybody, your blood will be taken. In the case of Joab, David's instructions to Solomon were explicit. Joab was to be executed for the two murders. He was to be shown no mercy. I want to give you two considerations about this. First, if justice is to prevail in a society, it is important that there be limits to mercy. If justice is to prevail in a society, you cannot have unlimited mercy. Because unlimited mercy means that you're simply postponing for, ex for, for, for indefinitely the execution of justice. It is not sufficient that a society leave everything to God. We don't expect that. We expect, we suspect the government to protect us. We expect that. We have a right to expect that the government will protect us. 
The government in any society, according to St. Paul, has what is known in antiquity as the jus gladii, the rule, the law of the sword. That is to say, the state has not only the right to take the lives of certain kinds of malefactors, but the duty has a duty. If a given society decides it does not want criminals executed, then the society is free to make that decision. That's a political decision. It's quite another matter, however, to deny that the state has that responsibility. That, that is simply pure and simple heresy. And I find it all the time. When the state takes someone's life, that's called legitimate murder or something like It is not murder. It is not murder. I, I don't think anybody opposes the death penalty more than I do. Nonetheless, <laughs> when the state spares the life of a murderer, it is an act of mercy. And mercy must have its limits. David wanted Solomon's reign to start off in the right direction. Solomon was to do what David had never been able to do. He wanted the reign of Solomon to be more just than his own had been. And allowing Joab to go unpunished for two cold-blooded murders was not just. It simply is not just. If a murderer goes free, it is not just and society must be just. Second consideration, this one is a bit more psychological. David's inability to do the right thing with regard to Joab was founded not only on political considerations. Politically, it was very hard to do that. There's another reason, though. Think for a minute. David's own conscience was seriously soiled. David had a dirty conscience. David knew that he himself was a murderer. He was as much a murderer as Joab was. Indeed, his great point of irony, there was Joab, we recall, who had arranged for the death of Uriah. And he had done so at David's instruction. I'm, I'm trying to get into the head of, head of David. Why this reluctance to punish Joab? Because he knew that he himself deserved the same punishment. It's very hard for someone with a soiled conscience to serve in that capacity of leadership, even political leadership. When it comes to the leadership of the church, it is absolutely inconceivable, just inconceivable that someone whose conscience is so compromised can make decisions of wisdom with regard to other people. For decades, Israel had suffered 
by reason of David's own sin. His soiled conscience had made it impossible for David to be an effective leader. He could not even be an effective leader of his own household. You want to look at a, a dysfunctional household, you don't really need to look very much further than David's own household. His own soiled conscience made it impossible for him to be a good father. Think of Amnon's rape of his own sister, a crime for which he received no punishment from his father. Then Absalom killed Amnon, his brother. Got away with it. Got away with it, and so the next thing Absalom does is try to take over the kingdom. So now, in, in 1 Kings, aged David, facing his own death, decided that to remove a public scandal that had festered in the kingdom for many years, Joab had to die. If Solomon's reign was to be wiser and more just than his own, Joab should do everybody a favor by departing from this life. He should be subjected to the same bloody violence inflicted on two innocent men better than himself. Modern states founded in the last century, or even in the 19th century, they're still modern, which is to say most states, most states. I think the only, the only unbroken continuity of government for the last 2,000 years has been the Vatican. I think it's the only one. And that's a pretty small place. Modern states are reluctant to take the lives of malefactors. And I understand that reluctance. I am too. The state of Israel is one of those. The state of Israel, by constitution and law, they may not execute the criminal. What were they going to do with Eichmann? What would they do with Eichmann? The Knesset met, and they said, you know, when we said malefactors are not going to be executed, we didn't mean the likes of Eichmann. <laughs> we didn't, that's not what we had in mind. Since, however, he was not a citizen of the state of Israel, <laughs> they felt perfectly free to execute him. There are limits to mercy. There are limits to mercy. And we forget that at our own peril. 